Awesome. So uh, the book of Exodus, Exodus chapter 17. Um, man, we've, we've, it's like we're, it's like we're, we're, we're going along on the, on the journey with the children of Israel as they're, as they're journeying through the wilderness, as they're going, you know, they're having this wilderness experience with the Lord. They've seen the Lord deliver them mightily through the ten plagues while they were in Egypt. They saw the hand of God uh, guide them out of Egypt. They saw the, the hand of God guide them through, through dry land as he, as he split the Red Sea for them. Uh, they saw the miraculous hand of God provide for them uh, the, the manna in the wilderness and even, even meat, quail. And, and we come now to another testing or a, a, another, another a, a aspect of provision from the Lord to the children of, of Israel. And that is now uh, uh, water. You know, because uh, we're going to see how the Lord is going to provide for them now water in, in a dry place and water in the wilderness. And so all throughout this, this whole time, uh, the children of Israel have been, have been seeing and experiencing God really just provide for them supernaturally. And what's going on is that, is that they're growing in their knowledge and in their relationship for the Lord. And so we see that every single thing that they're going to go through and every single thing that, that, they, that they encounter and, uh, and deal with there in the wilderness, again, this is God-ordained and, and God is using this to bring them uh, closer to Him and to just bring them to a closer knowledge of, of Himself. And so chapter 17 starts off with saying now, it says, Then all the congregation of the children of Israel set out on their journey from the wilderness of sin according to the commandment of the Lord and camped in Rephidim, but there was no water for the people to drink. It says, but there, there was no water for the people to drink. Therefore, the people contended with Moses and said, Give us water that we may drink. And so we'll stop right there. And so we see that, that it says now that, that, that the children of Israel went on their journey from the wilderness of sin. And a lot of people think, all right, this sin is the same like sin that, you know, that, that, that we talk about uh, you know, like when, when we sin against God. But really, it's just, it's just a name in the Bible. It has no significance. Uh, it, it could actually be pronounced uh, Zion. So it's just, it's just the name. So it's the wilderness of Zion. But we see that it says that the Lord, uh, that, that, that the Lord led them and that it was according to the commandment of the Lord that they camped out in this place where there was no water to drink. And of course, we're told that the people began to contend with Moses. And they said, give us water that we may drink. Now, interesting that, that when it says right there that the people began to, to contend, uh, really the word is uh, uh, complain. Uh, and, and more than complain, the, the Hebrew word is actually raib, uh, uh, which means to strive or, or, or to contend with strife. I mean, like they're actually, yeah, they're actually going up to them and saying, "Give us water, we make a drink." I mean, they're going crazy. It's like an angry mob. You know, the the, the Hebrew word gives us the picture of like an angry mob coming up against Moses. And keep in mind that there's more than two million people there in, in the wilderness that are coming up against Moses. It's one man saying, "Give us water, give us water." First, he came up to them saying, "What?" Uh, uh, before they even crossed the Red Sea, they're saying, "What? Did you bring us out here to die? Right? Was there not enough enough graves in Egypt?" Then they cross, and then they, these the same people, the same two million people came came up to uh, uh, Moses and said, uh, uh, "We're hungry. What are you, did you bring us out here to die? Give us give us bread to eat." Then bread came out. We're hungry. Give us meat to eat. Now they're saying, "We're thirsty. Give us water to drink." And so it's this, again a couple million people that are coming up against Moses, contending with them, striving with them, and really we see that 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 their issue wasn't with Moses. Because Moses was the one, wasn't the one that, that was leading them, but it was the Lord that was leading them. Notice how, this, how it says that, that, it, that they camped out there according to the commandment of the, of the Lord. And, and I find that interesting because uh, here, here we are, you know, they're being led by God. And it's not that God lost them. It's, it's, it's not that, they, that, 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 that God kind of, you know, he didn't look at the map and he had him uh, make a wrong turn. But no, God knew what he was doing. You know, not once did God lose control of where they were at, of where they were going, and of 
the circumstances where, 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 where they were to stay. God led them to this place knowing that there was no water. God led them to the wilderness knowing that there was no bread. God led them to the wilderness knowing that there was no food. And so now God leads them to this place knowing that there's no water. And so we see that, that, that God is intentional in what he's doing. We see that God was leading them to these dry places where they would thirst and cry out to them. And here they are in the perfect will of God. They're following God. They're, they're literally following God. They're following God as a, as, a pillar, as a pillar of fire by night and as a cloud by day. They're in the center of God's will. That's my prayer all the time. Lord, help me to just find myself at the very center of your will for my life. And I hear these people that they're very center of God's will for their life, and yet they're thirsty, right? They're, 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 they're lacking something. But yet they didn't realize that it was God's will for them to be there. It was God's will for them to, to, to be thirsty. It was God's will for there to no, not be any water there. Right? Why? Because God is desiring to do something deeper in their lives than just, um, than just what they can see physically with their own eyes. And so we see that the people thirst and they begin to complain against Moses. And so it says there uh, in the second part of verse 2, it says, So Moses said to them, Why do you contend with me? Why do you tempt the Lord? In verse 3, And the people thirsted there for water, and the people complained against Moses and said, Why is it that you have brought us up out of Egypt to kill us and our children and our livestock with thirst? So Moses cried out to the Lord, saying, What shall I do with these people? They're almost ready to stone me. And the Lord said to Moses, Go on before the people and take, some of, and take with you some of the elders of Israel. Also take in your hand your rod with which you struck the river and go. And behold, I will stand before you there on the rock in Horeb, and you shall strike the rock, and water will come out of it that the people may drink. And Moses did so in the sight of, of the elders of Israel, so he called the name of the place Massa and Meribah because, the contention, because of the contention of the children of Israel and because they tempted the Lord saying is the Lord among us or not and we'll stop right there and so we see that, 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 that naturally again I love the approach of Moses I love Moses' leadership uh, because the people come up complaining against him obviously it's something that's way out of his control he doesn't even know how to deal with these people he doesn't even know how to, how to respond to them how to answer them how to solve their problems so what does he do? he goes to the Lord Moses cries out to the Lord. He could have gone to Aaron and all these elders that he had. Uh, at the chapter before, we're told that, that Moses had 70 elders from the children of Israel, meaning like seven prominent men who were no doubt wise, who were maybe elder as in up there in age as well, but with age came that wisdom. He could have got, out, got the whole crew together, the whole council together. All right, guys, the people are thirsty. What do we do? Should we go out and look for water, come back in with some camels and some sacks and bring a bunch of water? Should we maybe start digging, make a well, you know, or, start, uh, or something? What do we do? He could have gone to the worldly wisdom, right? But instead, what, he, what does he do? He cries out to the Lord. You know, he seeks that godly wisdom. You know, and, and, and I love that about Moses because so oftentimes us, I mean, just because we're here and, and right, we have uh, the world in, at the palm of our hands. I, I could now it's like I was amazed at work. You know, that, uh, uh, one of my coworkers, I'm trying to teach him some codes, some electrical codes and stuff. And I'm like, right, what's, what's the code for this, this, that, and the other? And, and my, my whole point is, I'm trying to get him to memorize these codes. And, and but instead, he goes on to Google real quick. Oh, it's this, this, that, and the other. I'm like, nah, I'm like, you're missing the point. But man, that's that's good though. <laughs> it's good, you know, that that now is like we have the, the world at the palm of our hands. Right, and and it's, and we live in a society today that that is that that is full of knowledge, but yet no wisdom, right? Full of knowledge, but yet no wisdom. I mean, you have any information at the palm of your hands, you have any information at, at our disposal, but yet no wisdom. No, not, not, now, wisdom is the application of knowledge, 
Right, ask this guy, hey, what's, this, what's the code for strapping this wire that's coming out of the light? Uh, it's a foot within the box and then six feet after that. And then I look at his work and it's like not even up to code. <laughs> right, so it's like he knows, he, he knows the, 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 he's got the information, but he doesn't know how to apply it, right? He's got no wisdom. And wisdom is an is application of knowledge. And so I see that, that, uh, that, that what Moses did is he could have gone to that worldly wisdom, but instead, what does he do? He cries out to the Lord. He says, Lord, these people are crying out, uh, these people are ready to stone me, they're ready to kill me. Because they're so thirsty, what do I do? And God gave him instructions. He said, all right, go before the people. He says, and take with you some of the elders of Israel. And also take in your hand your rod with which you struck the river and go. Now, I love what the Lord is doing here. Because uh, without, without the Lord saying this, what God is doing is that he's establishing his leadership amongst Moses. Uh, God told Moses, take these elders with you. These elders had nothing to do with anything that was going to go on. They were just going to kind of go and just go see. Right? They, they didn't play any part in, in, in the water coming out of the rock. They didn't play any, God, any part in, in God providing water for the people. They were just kind of there. God told Moses, all right, take these elders with you and, uh, and, and go and take that rod that you had and strike this rock and, the rock, and, out, of the, and out of the rock, water's going to flow out. But, but we see that what God is doing is that, is that he's, he's allowing these guys to, 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 to see the miracles of God as well. Why? Because God is desiring to establish these guys as, uh, as elders amongst the people, right? As, as, as reputable among the people. Um, God, God is pouring into these men as well so that they could lift up, as we're going to see later on, lift up the arms of Moses in, in the work that they had before them for those 40 years. Right? And I love this because God is always desiring to look for, for a man, for a woman, you know, in whom he can work through, in whom he can, he can use, in whom he could come alongside of, you know, of, of, of God's people and just, and just lift up their arms also. Right? And, so, and so I love that, that, that God didn't exclude these other guys just because they weren't Moses, just because they weren't Aaron or related to them, just because they weren't, um, you, know, of a, of, of the, you know, of the family of, Aaron, of, of Moses and Aaron, just because they didn't do any cool miracles. God doesn't exclude these, these guys, but no, God says, hey man, bring all the elders. You know, he says, bring these elders. Again, these elders were, were around, around 70 guys you know, who were just going to go and just kind of just see what God was doing through Moses. Right? And they were just going to glean from him. And I'm, I'm reminded, you know, when, when, I, when, I, met, when I first uh, came to Calvary and, and the Lord allowed me to kind of come alongside you know, this pastor. And uh, I would just kind of just go with him, you know, wherever he went. Hey, Angel, he would call me. Uh, I didn't know, hey, did you go to work? No. Hey, I'm going to go to the hospital and go pray for this lady that she's sick. All right, cool. I'll go with you. Hey, what did you, are you, uh, you got time? I'm going to go to the park and go just walk around and pray. All right, cool. I'll go. Hey, you got time? I'm going to go uh, down to the apartment next door and, and go just knock on people's doors and just talk to them, see if they need prayer. All right, cool. I'll go. And it's like, without me knowing what he was doing, that he was just kind of bringing me in and just allowing me to see, you know, what, like just allowing me to see his life with the Lord. Uh, uh, displayed before me, you know, in just a very applicable way, and, and and that was teaching me as well, you know, how to how to be a man of God. And so we see that that, that the Lord included these elders there there with Moses. And so He says, uh, He says, take the elders and, and and take that rod which with 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 which you you use when you were in Egypt. He says, and strike the rock, and water will come out out of it that the people may drink. And what's going on here is that it, it's a miracle. So God told Moses, take your rod. Uh, strike this rock with it. He'll, he'll, so hit this rock with it. Whack, whack it. He says, and, and out of it, miraculously, water is going to flow out of it. Now, it, and, and it, it did. So when Moses struck it, water did come out and, and the people drank. Right? But there's, a, there's a, another instance later on here in the, in the history of the children of Israel while they were there in the, in the wilderness. They're going to cry out a second time against Moses. They're going to say, Moses, we're thirsty, we're thirsty, we're thirsty. Give us water. Right? And there we have, we have a second account of this. And there in Numbers uh, chapter 20, verse 7 through 12, we see that the people thirst and complain to Moses again. And Moses strikes the rock again, but in, in an angry way. 
And we see that this was actually the sin that, that caused Moses to not enter in the, into the promised land. And so it says this in Numbers 27. It says, Then the Lord spoke to Moses saying, Take the rod, you and your brother Aaron, gather the congregation together, speak to the rock before they rise, and it will yield its water. Thus you shall bring water for them out of the rock and give drink to the congregation and their animals. So Moses took the rod from before the Lord as, as God commanded him. And so notice that the second time that the people are complaining against Moses because they're thirsty, what does God tell Moses to do? He says, he says, take your rod, he says, take your rod, you and you and you and Aaron go, go to the go to go to the rock, he says, and speak to the rock before they rise. Meaning he was, he was to go to the rock and say, all right, bring forth water. And it was going to gush out water. The first time, as we're reading about it here in chapter 17, God told Moses, strike the rock. Strike the rock and water is going to come out. The second time, God told Moses, speak to the rock. Just say, hey, we need water. Right? And, and water was, 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 to, was to flow out of it naturally. And, but notice what Moses did there in uh, Numbers 20, verse 10. It says, and Moses and Aaron gathered the assembly together before the rock. And he said to them, here now. Here now, you rebels. It's with an exclamation mark. Here now, you rebels. Must we bring water for you out of this rock? So then Moses lifted his hand and struck the rock twice with his rock, and water came out abundantly, and the congregation and their animals drank. And then the Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron, and, and, they, and he said, Because you did not believe me to, to hallow me in the eyes of the children of Israel, therefore you shall not bring the assembly into the land which I have given them. And you may think, and well, that's kind of messed up. How come, how come God got mad at Moses for, for striking the rock? But, but we see that, that, that this, has, this, this, this instance here of, of, of this rock, just like how, how we mentioned last week that the manna that the, that the children of Israel ate in the, uh, ate in the wilderness was symbolic and, was, and was, was a type of it and was a picture of and was uh, this, this analogy of, of Christ. Because in the New Testament, Christ says, you remember what Jesus said? He says, hey, says, your, your, your forefathers ate manna in the wilderness and they all died. He says, they, they, they ate that bread in the wilderness and they all died. He says, but, but he who eats uh, of my flesh, you know, shall eat of my flesh and never die. He says, because I am that bread of life. And so we see that, that the manna, that, that, that bread in the wilderness was a picture of the spiritual bread that, that Jesus said was his body given for all, for all mankind. Right? And so we see that the manna had this, had this symbolism of, of, the, of the sacrifice of Jesus on the cross. And so this water, so this rock that, and, and the water that, that was to come out out of the rock you know, was symbolic of something else, right? But we see that 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 that, that God had to had to uh, uh, punish Moses. Tell Moses, you didn't obey me, and, and it was very important that you obey me. Why? Because because of the of the of the significance of the rock there in the wilderness. Now, there in uh, we see that, that that in the book of Genesis, I mean, in, in sorry, in the, in the in the Gospel of John. Jesus, as, as, he, as he's speaking to, 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 to his disciples, you know, uh, we're told there, there that, that in John chapter 7, it says that in the last day, the day of the great feast, which is the, the Feast of Tabernacles, we're told that, that Jesus was there amongst the people there in the feast where there would have been thousands and thousands of Jews. And, and the Feast of Tabernacles was pretty much the, this Jewish holiday where they would celebrate it for one week and they would commemorate what God did for them in, in the wilderness and providing water for, for, their, for their forefathers there in the wilderness when they were thirsty. And so the, the, the very last day of the feast, they would have this, this water ceremony, right? And everybody would be quiet and as, as they would watch the priest just kind of go down there and, and, and throw these big old jars of water and do this whole ceremony. And the, and, and the people would remember what God did for, 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 their, for their ancestors in the wilderness, how God miraculously provided water for them. And we're told there in John 7, 37, that in the last day, the, 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 the last day of the great feast, it says that Jesus stood up 
and he cried out a lot, and he shouted at the top of his lungs, and he says, if anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. He says, and he who drinks of the water that I give, says, out of, out of the, his innermost being will gush a torrent of living water. All right? And so what Jesus was saying, he says, hey, I was that rock. He says, I'm that rock. And more than that, the Apostle Paul also tells there in 1 Corinthians 4.10, he tells us that Christ was that rock. He tells us that, that the children of Israel, he says, they all drink of that spiritual rock, which is Christ. And so we see that, 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 that this rock you know, it has significance because it, it, was represent, it, it represented Christ in the New Testament and that living water that he was to give. There's a story there in, in John chapter 4. Um, as, as Jesus is there, he's traveling through Samaria. We're told that he stops at a well. And he tells his disciples, his disciples start saying, hey, man, we're kind of hungry. And so Jesus says, all right, why don't you guys go into the city, get us something to eat, and I'll wait right here. And we're told that, that Jesus is sitting at a well, and all of a sudden this, this Samaritan woman comes up to the well, and, she, and, and Jesus begins to conversate with her. Now, according to Jewish custom, it would have been like way against their culture to speak to a Samaritan, and more than that, a Samaritan woman, and more than that, that specific type of Samaritan woman, because she was going to the well around noontime, and which it would have been like the hottest point of the day, so for her to go there to the well at noontime means that, that she didn't go in the morning with everyone else, why? Because she was trying to avoid everybody, and then later on we find out why she was trying to avoid everybody, as Jesus begins to talk to her, you know, and, and, uh, and, 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 and Jesus says, hey, go call your husband, and she says, I have no husband. And, she, and Jesus goes on to say, yeah, you, you're, you're right in saying that you have no husband because you've had five husbands. And the guy you're with right now, you, you, uh, the guy who you're living with right now, is, you're not even married to him. And so this was a specific type of, of a woman, you know, kind of, kind of promiscuous. That's why she was trying to avoid. Usually the women would go out in the morning before, before the sun came out to go drop water from the well. But this woman went at noontime when no one was at the well. Why? Because she wanted to avoid the crowds because she knew they're going to begin to point. They're going to begin to laugh. They're going to begin to talk about her behind her back. They're going to begin to kind of whisper in each other's ears. And, and, and it was at that time that Jesus met this woman. You know, and he begins to speak to her. He begins to conversate with her. And then, and then, and, and then he, he tells her, he, he tells her uh, 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 draw some water for me so, so, so that I can drink. Right? And then they begin to have this conversation. You know, and... and and Jesus, and Jesus goes on to tell her, hey, if you knew you know, who it was that was asking for water, you would ask me for a drink, and I'd give you a drink. And then she would go on to tell him, uh, you don't have anything to draw water out of. How, am I, how, how are you going to give me something to drink? And, 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 and he said, he says, uh, I have water you know, that is living water. And whoever drinks of this water will never thirst again. Right? And so again, we see that, 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 that this rock there in the wilderness, when, when Moses struck it the first time, it was symbolic of Jesus being stricken on the cross only once. Right? And so the second time when God told Moses, all right, now speak to the rock. Right? Moses struck the rock twice, meaning that now the rock is struck three times, being misrepresenting God and misrepresenting the sacrifice of Jesus Christ because now it means that, that, that Christ had to be stricken twice. And, and we know that, 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 that Jesus had to only be struck be stricken once for our sins, right? He died once for our sins. He suffered the penalty for our sins once. He died on the cross once, and that one time it was sufficient, and it was once and for all, you know, the, the penalty and the punishment for our sin was paid that one time that Jesus was stricken. And so when Moses struck the rock, struck the, rock the second time, you know, it, again, it had, had deep significance, you know, and, 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 and that's why the Lord had to tell him, Moses, you messed up. You messed up, you know, you, you, you blew it, Moses. Right? You didn't understand what this meant, but you blew it. And so God had to, had to punish Moses in the, in, the, in the face of all the children of Israel. Why? Because he wanted them to understand that this had deeper significance. And so it goes on to say there in verse 8, Now, 
It says, Now Amalek, it says, Now Amalek came and fought with Israel and Rephidim. And Moses said to Joshua, Choose us some men and go out, fight with Amalek. Tomorrow I will stand on the top of the hill with the rod of God in my hand. So Joshua did as Moses said to him and fought with Amalek. And Moses, Aaron, and Hur went up to the top of the hill. And so it was when Moses held up his hand that Israel prevailed. And when Moses let down his hands, Amalek prevailed. But Moses' hands became heavy, so, so they took a stone and put it under him, and he sat on it. And Aaron and Hur supported his hands, one on one side and one, the other on the other side. And his hands were steady until the going down of the sun. So Joshua defeated Amalek and his people with the edge of the sword. And so we're told that when, when it mentions Amalek, uh, 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 this people Amalek, it's a whole people group. You know, apart from the children of Israel, apart from the Egyptians, apart from other people groups, there were, there were many other people groups who, who, who dwelled there in the wilderness, apart from just uh, the nation of Israel. We're told that there was, uh, that there was Amalek, there was uh, Midian, there was uh, 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 the Jebusites, there was uh, the Perizzites, there was uh, the, the... So there was all kinds of other people groups who were already dwelling in the wilderness, the Canaanites, whom, whom's, uh, whom, whose land they were going to inherit. And so there were all kinds of already uh, people groups who were dwelling in the land, and they had, they had all heard of, of, of what God had done for the, for the children of Israel. They had all heard of how God rescued them from Egypt. They had all heard about the miracles that, that God performed on, on their behalf. Right? And, and so what they wanted to do is that they wanted to they, they wanted to, to get rid of the children of Israel because they saw them as a threat. They thought, man, here are these people you know, whom God is defending. And so what they did is that, is that they began to, to do war with the children of Israel as they were traveling through the wilderness to their final destination. You know, keep in mind that it's about two million slaves. They've never been in battle. They've never held a sword. They've never fought anybody. All, all they know is just hard labor. Right, uh, uh, the hard labor at the hand of a taskmaster, of a slave master, and I will say, you know, here are these these other nations who are coming up against them to fight them. Right, it's like they don't stand a chance. They don't have any armor. They don't have any walls surrounding them. They don't have any weapons. They don't have anything. And yet, here are these people who, who are who are surrounding them to kill them. In the book of Deuteronomy, Deuteronomy 25. 1719 tells us that that, that that Amalek or the Amalekites that that, that that they would watch the children of Israel from the mountains and that and that as they saw this huge crowd of people this huge you know a uh, 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 crowd of people just walking through the wilderness that that, that, that they would watch them from the mountains and and, and, that, and that they would they would wait till people start straggling all the all the weaker ones all the older ones all the ones that were hurt the ones that started straggling behind in the crowd and says they would that they would go down and, they, and that they would begin to attack all the all the stragglers from behind. That's, man, that's, that's messed up. <laughs> you know, that's harsh. You know, all the stragglers, you know, man, the old ones who couldn't keep up, the, 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 the little kids who, who, who stayed behind playing, all the, all the old ladies, all the, you know, just all the stragglers that for whatever reason they couldn't keep up with the big crowd. So the Amalek will come in and, 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 and that they would, attack, they would attack the children of Israel from behind, right? And so, again, we see that, 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 uh, that Amalek really in the Bible, you know, when, when, when we speak about typologies, we mentioned how Egypt was a type of the world, right? Pharaoh was a type of Satan. You know, the, the, the wilderness experience is, is a type of, of, of our walks, you know, uh, uh, um, before, the, before we come to the Lord. And then as they enter the promised land, it's a type of, of the believer not coming into the, the full promises of God. And we see that Amalek in the Bible is a type of the flesh and sin. And, and we see that, that, that just how Amalek was attacking the weak ones from behind. We see that so often, you know, our flesh kind of, kind of deceives us and our flesh kind of, uh, kind of it's like, it's like, it's in our, in our weak points where we think, all right, 
I'm, 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 kind of, I'm kind of weak right now, I'm kind of tired right now, that that's when our flesh kind of just comes up against us and, and attacks us well with temptation, you know, with all these thoughts in our heads, with, you know, it's, it's when we're weak, right? It's when we're not spending time with the Lord. It's when we're weak physically as well. You know, when we think, man, I'm just feeling too tired to, you know, do anything. Like, that's when the enemy starts messing with our minds, with our, with our heads, right? Our own sin kind of gets the, the best of us, our own flesh. And so we see that Amalek is, is a type of, the flesh, right, where it where it attacks us from behind, it attacks us, you know, in our weak points, it, it, it attacks us in our when we're straggling, when we're straggling behind, right, and that's why it's so important for for believers, man. If if, if you're a believer and you feel yourself kind of straggling behind, you know, along if you see everyone else is kind of on fire for the Lord, man, this, this guy this this guy's over here, he's in the devotion all the time. This lady over here, she's giving Bible studies. This that, like it's like God is, you know, you see that the church is is flourishing, everyone's kind of on fire, and you kind of feel like man, I'm kind of being left behind. Right? It's important to continue to stay in fellowship, right? Because because the sin attacks the stragglers, right? And it's when we start falling behind that our own flesh kind of works against us. And so we're told that that Amalek came and fought Israel and Rephidim, and we're told that Moses said to Joshua, "Choose us some men and go and fight with with Amalek." Now, this is um, I want I want to spend some time you know, and talk about about this person Joshua. And because at this point in time, Joshua, he's just a teenager. He's probably either in his, in his early 20s or, or, or just in his teens. We see, that, we see that, 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 that Joshua was born in captivity along with the, other, with the rest of the children of Israel. Uh, none of them knew how to fight. Again, none of, they weren't this army. They weren't this, 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 these violent people, right? They were just slaves. But yeah, we're told that Moses said to Joshua, Choose us some men and go out and fight with Amalek. He says, and tomorrow I will stand on the top of the hill with the rod of God in my hand. And we're told, so Joshua did as Moses said to him, and he fought with Amalek. For us, that means nothing. But for, but for Joshua, man, that meant everything. Why? Because no doubt he was fearful. No doubt he was doubtful. No doubt he was uh, even, even scared, probably. You know, but, but, but there was something special about this guy, Joshua. And you think, man, why Joshua? You know, here he just mentioned, you know, uh, every so often, but yet we go a few books later and there's a whole book dedicated to Joshua. Uh, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, the sixth book of the Bible is the book of Joshua. And we see that Joshua had the privilege of bringing the children of Israel uh, into the promised land, something that, that Moses couldn't even do. But yet here we see Joshua's kind of humble beginnings, right, with the first mention of Joshua. So we see that there was something special about Joshua amongst this whole crowd of Two million plus people. There was something special about Joshua that Moses would tell Joshua. Joshua, I'm going to entrust you with the responsibility of choosing us some men to go out and fight with Amalek. You know, this whole nation who comes up with us with horses, with swords, with spears, with all these things, and and, and are about to to destroy all of us. I'm going to I'm going to task you with the responsibility of choosing us the right men to defend our people. And so you think, man, who's Joshua, right? That, 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 that they would lay this heavy trip on him. Now, later on in the book of Exodus, uh, Exodus 24, 12, we're told something about Joshua. And we're told, it says this, it says, And the Lord said to Moses, Come up to me on the mountain and be there, says, and I will give you tablets of stone and the law and commandments which I have written that, that you may teach them. And then we're told this, verse 13, it says, So Moses arose with his assistant, Joshua, and Moses went out to the mountain of God. And so we see that whenever Moses is mentioned as, as, as meeting with God, we notice that Joshua is always there, right? 
uh, whenever Moses is talking to God, whenever God's doing something to Moses, like Joshua was always there. He was just a teenager. He was just a, a young kid. But yet he wanted to be where God's presence was. And if God was speaking, Joshua wanted to be there. There was something different about Joshua. He wasn't, you know, all these people saw the miracles of God. They all complained, right? They all kind of uh, uh, were, 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 were just talking back to Moses. Were, they were doubting the Lord. They were doubting if God was even with them. But there was something about the specific guy, Joshua. We're told there in Exodus 30, verse 8, verse 8 through 11, it says, So it was whenever Moses went out to the tabernacle that all the people rose and each man stood at his tent door and watched Moses until he had gone into the tabernacle. And so later on in the book of, in the book of Exodus, towards the end of the book of Exodus, we're told that God commands Moses to build a tent, what's known as a tabernacle. The, the tabernacle literally means a dwelling place. And it was just a tent made of rags, but yet it was the meeting place between Moses and God. And so, and so in the midst of all the, 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 the camps of the children of Israel, they had this little tent, which was like their church, right? And Moses would go in there and he would just, man, he would talk to God. It was, it was, it was there where everything happened. And so we're told there in Exodus 30 that, that as Moses went, went into the tabernacle, that all the people would just would stand up and they would just kind of watch and they would recognize, man, something holy is going on right now. You know, God is talking to Moses. God is talking to one of us right now. And we're told that the people would rise and each man would stand at his tent door and they would watch Moses until he had gone into the tabernacle. And we're told in verse 9, it says, And it came to pass when Moses entered the tabernacle that the pillar of cloud descended and stood at the door of the tabernacle. And the Lord talked with Moses. And then it says, All the people saw that the pillar of cloud standing at the tabernacle door and all the people rose and worshipped each man in his tent door. So the Lord, so the Lord spoke to Moses face to face as a man speaks to his friend and he would return to the camp but his servant Joshua the son of Nun a young man did not depart from the tabernacle and so we're told that, that, that when they had the tabernacle that Moses would go and he would meet God and as he's meeting with God the Allah people would, would be at their tent doors and then that the, that, the, that, the, that the cloud the pillar of cloud representing God's presence would be there at the tabernacle door and that everybody, everybody seeing that that they would just begin to worship God because they would see man God's presence is right there at the, at the tabernacle God is, is talking to Moses man Moses is, is interceding for us they would just get so excited they begin to worship God and then we're told that Moses when he was done that he would go back to his, to, to his own tent he would go back home but we're told that Joshua would stay at the tabernacle I think that's heavy. It's like if all of us went right now, right, man, we have church service on Sunday, but yet, you know, this person just stays behind. And we're, we're all gone, we're all cleaned up, we're in our beds, but yet, you know, here's this person, they're still worshiping God, they're reading their Bible, and, and then they stay at church, you know, and like, man, we have this awesome experience here at church, and we all go, but yet, you know, uh, uh, so-and-so stays behind, and he's just, you know, or they're just, man, just worshiping God. Or, it's like, it was like, it was like that, and Joshua was like that, that he just wanted to be where, it's, where God's presence was. All right. Later on, uh, we're told that a few of the men of Israel would be filled with the Holy Spirit and, and they would begin to just prophesy there in the camp. We're told that the Spirit of God will fall upon a few men and they begin to just, to, to just prophesy. All right? and, then, uh, and we're told that, that Joshua, you know, he would go to Moses and he would say, Hey, Moses, they're, they're, they're doing something crazy. You know, they're, the Spirit of God fell upon them. You know, uh, 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 stop them. And Moses would say, No, Joshua. He, he, uh, uh, Moses would say, Man, I, I wish that everybody was filled with the Holy Spirit. Right, but we see that Joshua had this zealousy for the Lord. Joshua had this zealousy for the things of God. Right? He, was, he was not jealous. He was zealous for the things of God. We see that Joshua was among 12 who were sent to spy out the promised land. Once the children of Israel were at the border of Canaan in the wilderness, and when they knew, all right, 
uh, it's, it's almost time for us to go in there and to, and to inherit our land. We're told that, that, that the children of Israel sent 12 spies to go spy out the land, to go and to bring back a report and say, all right, are we good to go? Can, can, we, can we go into the land? Can we inherit the land? Uh, are, 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 are we gonna, is, is there any danger? And we're told that those 12 spies came back and that 10 of them gave a bad report. And they said, there's no way we could go in there. There's people in there, uh, they're, they're, they're huge, they're like giants. If we go in there, they're gonna stomp on us, they're gonna kill us all. There's no way we can inherit the promised land, guys. But yeah, we're told that two guys, Joshua and Caleb, said, no way, let's go because God has given them into our hands. And so we see that Joshua was among 12 who were sent out to spy the land. And, 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 and only him and Caleb brought back a good report. And so the book of Numbers later on in Numbers 27, 15 says, Then Moses spoke to the Lord, saying, let the Lord, of, let the, Lord the God of the, of the spirits of all flesh, set a man over the congregation. Once Moses knew that, that his time was up, that he was getting old, that he was going to die in the wilderness, and that he wasn't going to walk into the promised land, Moses began to pray to God. And he said, Lord, um, what are the people going to do once I'm gone? Who's going to lead them? And, and, and Moses began to pray. He said, God, you have to choose a man among us to, to lead the, the people of Israel into the promised land and to, and to lead them into battle, to lead them into victory, and to lead them into that perfect will, that, per, that perfect place that you have for them. And so Moses said, Let the Lord, the God of the spirits of all flesh, set a man over the congregation, who may go out before them and go in before them, who may lead them out and bring them in, that the congregation of the Lord may not be like the sheep which have no shepherd. And the Lord said to Moses, Take Joshua. Take Joshua, the son of Nun, with you, a man in whom is the Spirit, and lay your hand on him, set him before Elijah the priest, and before all the congregation, and inaugurate him in their sight. And you shall give some of your authority to him, that all the congregation of the children of Israel may be obedient. And so, what's the point of this? You know, I'm focusing on Joshua you know, and bringing up all these things about Joshua. No doubt, Joshua was a righteous dude. You know, God used him. He had a, an awesome heart. He had a heart, a pure heart to just serve God, to just know God, to just, you know, to, to lead the people. And the point is that in the midst of a rebellious people, about two million of them, in the midst of a rebellious people, a disobedient people, in the midst of what may look like a time of failure in the wilderness, a journey that should have took 11 days and ended up taking 40 years because of their, of, of, of their failures. Right? But in the midst of that, God was working in the heart of a young man named Joshua. And you may think, man, the whole generation was lost. Right? They, were, they, were all, they were all a waste. But yet God was working in the heart of a young man named Joshua. He was preparing him for the next season in his life to lead a group of over 3 million into the land that God had promised them way before and so we see that Joshua would be, would be instrumental in the promises of God being fulfilled in those people's lives. Joshua, right? In the midst of the trials and troubling times that we live in, we see that God is looking for someone to work in and through, right? We see that in the midst of, man, all this darkness, in the midst of a generation of what looks like, man, just generation of failures, right? I mean, uh, all kinds of crazy stuff. We may think, man, this is just a generation that's lost. This is like the lost world. You know, you look out, you go on social media, and you're like, man, this is just like the, the, the lost generation, right? But we see that in the midst of the generation, God is still looking for men and women in whom he could use, and whom, whom he could minister to, and, and whom he could use, you know, to minister to someone else's life, to lead someone else into that promised land. And, and I, for one, want to be one of those people. 
Like even if no one else notices it, even if history books never record it, you know, I want my name to be in, in God's history books as, hey, in the year uh, 2020, year 2022, in the year when all this was going on, there was angel, you know, just laboring away, uh, doing my will. Hey, in the year when all this was going on, there was so-and-so, there was Mike, there was Amanda, there was, there was Liz, there was Mark, there was, you know, just, just, just doing my will, just seeking to please me, and I was using them. Man, in the midst of just a lost generation, there was Joshua. And so it goes on to say, again, that it says, uh, And so it was, verse 11, so it was when Moses held up his hand that, the, that Israel prevailed. And when he let down his hand, Amalek prevailed. But Moses' hands became heavy. So they took a stone and put it under him, and he sat on it. And Aaron and her supported his hands, one on one side. So they were holding his hand, like, all right, Moses. So they sat him on a stone. And so here's, here's Moses that, again, it was uh, this, this battle, right? And so we see that up until this point, God was doing all the fighting for them. God went to Egypt, he fought the Egyptians for him. You know, God led him out of all the wilderness, you know, he drowned the Egyptians. God brought him into, into the wilderness and, 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 and he gave him food, he gave him water. So up until this point, God was doing all the fighting for them. But now it got to the point where now they were going to get their hands dirty. Right now, God is bringing them into like another, another area of, 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 of trusting him. Where, before, where all this, you know, was leading up to, to them just again, just cultivating. God was cultivating this trust in their hearts. Why? Because as they were taking these little steps of obedience unto God and seeing God come through for them in, 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 these, in these other areas of their life, once the big battle hit, they were going to have to trust God and say, all right, God, you provided for us in the wilderness water. You provided for us in the wilderness bread. You provided for us in the wilderness meat. Lord, you, you drowned the Egyptians as they were chasing us and, and, and all those chariots and, and you did miraculous things for us. Now we're going to fight these guys physically. None of us have ever fought in our lives. And, and now we're going to trust you to, to, to fight for us and, and to use us to give us strength as we go out there and we do the work ourselves. Right? And, and us too, as we're, as we're walking with the Lord, right? as, 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 as we have our relationship with God, it's like every little uh, battle that the Lord brings before us, Right? As we continue to trust Him and, and, and see Him faithful in our lives to, to, to come through with us, to come through for us in those little things, like it's all establishing this trust in our hearts for when the big thing comes. All right, Lord, you've been faithful boom, 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 all these times. You have, you've had a perfect track record in all these little things, so why wouldn't, why wouldn't you be faithful in this big trial that's hitting me right now? Right? So that's what's going on with the people, with the children of Israel, is that now they're fighting for themselves. Right, God is still fighting on their, behalf, on their behalf, but now they have to get their hands dirty. Now they have to go out there and physically fight. And so we're told that Moses was kind of watching from a distance. He was too old. He couldn't go down there to fight. So he sent Joshua and all, and, and all the other guys. And we're told that, that Moses was there with his hands raised like this. And, and we're told that as long as his hands were raised, man, the children of Israel were, were, were victorious. But as soon as he would, he would lower his hands, then uh, the children of Israel would be defeated. And, and really... What this is is a picture of is it, it, it's a picture of prayer, you know. It's a picture of, of our prayer life as well. Right? That, that that as we as we just surrender to the Lord in prayer, which you know the hands raised is, is a symbol of surrender. Sometimes you know you may see someone when we're here worshiping at church or in a big church, you see people with their hands up, you know, and people do it for many different reasons, but really that the, the hands raised up is just a symbol of surrender. You're surrendering to, 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 to God who is higher than you. You're recognizing, God, I need your help, right? When you have a little baby and, and, and where do they go? They go like this, right? To the mom, to that. They go like this. Why? Because I recognize, you know, I'm my protector, my, 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 my dad, my mom, right? my, my, my everything. It's like they're surrendering to something that's bigger than them. 
And so when someone raises their hands in, in, in surrender unto God and worship, it's like they're telling God, God, you know, I trust you. And so really this is a picture of prayer as, as Moses would have his hands up and just in, in, in symbolic of surrender to God, the people would have the victory. But notice that he couldn't do it by himself. His hands would get tired physically. And so we're told that Aaron, his brother, and another guy by the name of her came and they literally just went like this to his hand. They sat him down on a rock and they would, one, one guy would hold up his hands, and the other, his left hand, and the other guy would hold up his right hands. And as long as Moses' hands were up, the children of Israel were victorious. And so us too here at church, I mean, God has told us through His Word, He says, do not forsake the assembling of yourself together. Right? As is the custom of some. And so we're, we're, God's desire for us is, is that we would gather like this. Right? Often. Why? So that we could hold each other's arms up. I can't do it alone. Just because I'm in this position as a pastor and, and, and I'm in the Word, I can't do it alone. I need you guys' prayers. I need my wife's prayers. I need people's uh, you know, support and prayer. Hey man, pray for me. People ask me all the time, Hey man, uh, how's it going over there? Uh, what, what, what can I, you know, what, uh, what can I do for you? What can, like, they, they always want to offer something. And I say, just pray for me. And they're like, all right, cool, man, but no, but really, what, what, what do you want me to do for you? I'm like, I'm serious, man. Just pray. Just pray for me, right? As if prayer was kind of like the, eh, like one of the last things that are not so important. But we see here the importance of prayer. And I say, really, man, I really want just, I really want you to just pray for me, right? Because it's your prayers that now, you know, we all have. The victory and so as his hands were up they were winning as his hands were down they were losing and so we're told that his hands were steady until the going down of the sun so joshua defeated amalek and his people with the edge of the sword miraculously verse 14 then the lord said to moses write this for a memorial in the book and recount it in the hearing of joshua that i will utterly blot out the remembrance of amalek from under under heaven and moses built an altar and called its name the Lord is my banner, or in Hebrew, it's Jehovah Nisi. You know, so it, 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 God has revealed Himself in, in many names uh, through many names in the Old Testament, uh, as Jehovah, one Jehovah Jireh, which means God, my God provides, uh, and this is Jehovah Nisi. This is the first time we mention uh, the first mention of God as Jehovah Nisi, meaning the, the the Lord is my banner. So the Lord is my banner in Hebrew is Jehovah Nisi. And when it says banner, it's literally like a, a victory flag. It gives this picture of just uh, of, of warfare. You know, when when when, when, a, when, a, when an opposing army comes into comes into and they're, and they're doing battle against someone else, and they come into their own land and they take over some of their land and they're fighting and they start pushing. They get and, and they get a few yards. What do they do? They put a flag down and say, "All right, man, this belongs to us now." And so God is God has shown Himself to the children of Israel as Jehovah, my banner, me, my banner of victory. Right, so Jehovah Nisi, Jehovah, my banner. For he said, because the Lord has sworn, the Lord would ha will have war with Amalek from generation to generation. Now, one thing I want to point out, notice what he says there in verse 14. It says that the Lord spoke to Moses. The Lord said to Moses, and he says, what? He says, write this for a memorial in the book. So the question is, what book? What, what book did Moses write? Well, we're reading it right now. He says, this went down, and God told Moses, all right, write this down. Write this down in the book for, as a memorial. And, and this book that, that, that Moses wrote is the book that we're reading about right now. And so interesting that we're actually reading the account of transmission, of biblical transmission, meaning how we got the Bible, right? The Bible tells us in, in 2 Timothy 3.16, it says that all Scripture is inspired by God. It literally means God breathed. It says that it's profitable for reproof, for correction, for doctrine, for instruction, so that the man of God may be complete, you know, lacking nothing. And so we see that 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 that, that the book of 
uh, of uh, well, really the Pentateuch, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, number Deuteronomy, but the rest of the Bible was written as God spoke, you know, as, as God through the whole, His Holy Spirit spoke to, 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 to men who were submitted to His Holy Spirit. And so we see that, that God spoke to Moses and He says, hey, write this down, write what down? Everything that we just read from, the, from Genesis up until this point, and then later on up until, uh, until the end of, uh, of, uh, of Deuteronomy, you know, Moses wrote this down as God was speaking to him. Right? So this is just amazing as we have, again, this first-hand account of, of, of transmission. Right? This is how, how we got the Bible, that God spoke to Moses. Right? And, and, and there he is, he's just writing it down. And so it goes on to say, and then they're in uh, chapter 18 now. Uh, we see it now, it says Jethro's advice to Moses. It says, and Jethro, the priest of Midian, Moses' father-in-law, heard all that God had done for Moses and for Israel, his people, that the Lord had brought Israel out of Egypt. Then Jethro, Moses' father-in-law, took Zipporah, Moses' wife, after he had sent her back with her two sons, of whom the name of one was Gershom, for he said, I have been a stranger in a foreign land. And the, other, the name of the other was Eliezer, for he said, The God of my father was my help, and delivered me from the sword of Pharaoh. And we're told there in verse 5, it says, And Jethro, Moses' father-in-law, came with his sons and his wife to Moses in the wilderness, where he was encamped at the mountain of God. And so we, we have now uh, Moses' and his father-in-law. Remember when, when, when Moses fled to Egypt, where, uh, where did he go? He went to Midian, and we're told that he was at a well, and that while he was at a well, he met this, you know, it, it was where, where he met this, this Midianite, there was Midianite women who were feeding their camels, and, and, and the shepherds were messing with them. And so Moses defended them. Moses ends up going to, to his house, and he marries one of their daughters, and Moses stays 40 years. Now he marries uh, the, the daughter of Jethro, and Moses is there 40 years in the wilderness, and he marries his daughter. Now, we don't hear about her. We're told that, 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 that when Moses you know, met the Lord in the wilderness, God sent Moses into, into Egypt. And you remember the story when, when, when Moses was coming with his wife, Zipporah, and, then, and their two kids, that, then, that, that, Moses, that God spoke to Moses and said, Hey, man, your son hasn't been circumcised. You can't represent me to the, to the Hebrew children if you're not keeping the law. And so we're told here that, that Moses sent her back along with the kids. And so while, Moses, while God is using Moses over here in Egypt and brings the people to the, ch to the children of Israel to, to, to the wilderness, you know, now Jethro hears, his father-in-law hears about what God is doing for, the, for, for Moses. Hears it, he's in the Midian and hears, he hears all of what God is doing for them. And so they come back now. Jethro, his daughter, which is uh, Moses' wife, and then uh, Jethro's grandkids, which are Moses' two kids. And they come to meet, to meet Moses now. And we're told there in verse 6, it says, Now he, said, now he had said to Moses, I, your father-in-law Jethro, am coming to you with your wife and her two sons with her. It says, So Moses went out to meet his father-in-law. He bowed down and kissed him, and they asked each other about their well-being, and they, and they went in into the tent. And Moses told his father-in-law all that the Lord had done to Pharaoh and to the Egyptians for Israel's, for Israel's sake. And those what it says, it says, And all the hardship that had come upon them on the way, and how the Lord had delivered them. Then Jethro rejoiced for all the good which the Lord had done for Israel, whom, whom he had delivered out of the hand of the Egyptians. And Jethro said, Blessed be the Lord who has delivered you out of the hand of the, of the Egyptians and out of the hand of Pharaoh, and who has delivered the people out of the, out of, under the hand of the Egyptians. And in verse 11 he says, Now I know that the Lord is greater than all the gods, with the lowercase g, all the gods. For in the very thing in which they behaved proudly, he was above them. Then Jethro, Moses' father-in-law, took a burnt offering and, and, and other sacrifices to offer to God. And Aaron came with all the elders of Israel to eat bread with Moses, with Moses' father-in-law, before God. We'll stop right there. And so, 
We're told that Jethro, he comes, he hasn't seen Moses in a while. He's heard about what, what God is doing. Jethro's, Jethro's over here in the land of Midian. He's not even close to the wilderness, but he's in Midian. And he's heard about what God has done to, 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 to the Egyptians. He's heard about what, what God is doing for Moses. And, 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 and as he's talking to Moses and as he's hearing about, about what God did in detail, his response was, he says, and he says, man, he says, now I know that the Lord is greater than all the little gods. Right? And wasn't that God's intent from the very beginning? When he called Moses to go speak to Pharaoh, what did God say? He said, so that, so that Pharaoh and so that all Egypt will know that I am the Lord, God Almighty. Right? And, and, so, and so God's intention in bringing, this, bringing the, the plagues upon Egypt and, and, and saving Israel is that so that everyone else, so all the nations, not just Egypt, not just the Israelites, so, but so that all the nations around him can recognize, man, he's the one true God. What are we doing serving these little gods, these little false gods, offering sacrifices to these little false gods when, when here's the one true God? You know, why don't we serve Him? And so we see that God was extending a hand of mercy, really, to, to, to the rest of His people around Him. It wasn't that God said, all right, this is my people, the children of Israel. Forget everyone else. I'm going to destroy everyone else. No, everything that God did for the children of Israel, it was, uh, it was uh, uh, as God was just speaking to the rest of the nation, saying, look, I'm the one true God. Right? I'm the one true God. And so uh, Jethro recognized it, and he began to worship God. And so it says there, verse 13, And so it was on the next day, that Moses sat to judge the people, and the people stood before Moses from morning until evening. So when Moses' father-in-law saw all that he did for the people, he said, What is this thing that you're doing for the people? Why do you sit, why do you sit alone and all the people stand before you from morning until evening? And Moses said to his father-in-law, Because the people come to me to inquire of God. When they have a difficulty, they come to me. And I judge between one another, and I make known the statutes of God and His laws. So, so Moses' father-in-law said to him, and the thing that you're doing is not good. It says, both you and these people who are with you will surely wear yourselves out. For this thing is too much for you. You are not able to perform it by yourself. Listen now to my voice and I'm going to give you some, some good advice. He says, and God will be with you. And he says, stand before God for the people so that you may bring the difficulties to God. And so we see that what's going on there in the wilderness is that, again, two million plus people and only one representative for God. It's like, imagine if this church was two million people deep and I'm the only guy who's like, all right, hey, uh, I, I need someone to pray for me. I'm going to wait in line. And they would wait in line all single day. I'm going to wait in line eight hours so I could talk to an angel. Or right, I'm going to wait all day so I could, you know, because I need him to pray for me. I have some, I have a question. I want him to answer for me. Right? And so that's what, that's what was going on is that Moses was the only one who was interceding for the people. Right? And, and so here he had lines of people standing before him all day. Just so they could talk to him and, and so Moses could hear the problem and say, all right, I think you should do this or let me pray to God uh, uh, for you about this thing. And so Jethro saw that. He said, man, it's not good, man. He says, you guys are going to wear yourselves out because you're going to get burnt out doing this. And so he says, all right, look, I'm, he says, I'm going to tell you what to do. He says, stand before, the, before God for the people so that, you may, so that you may bring the difficulties to God. He says, and you shall teach them the statutes and the laws and show them the way in which they must walk and the work which they must do. I love that. Because Jethro tells Moses, all right, he says, you're gonna stand before God for the people. He says, so that you may bring the difficulties to God. What is that? Prayer. He says, all right, God. He says, all right, Moses, you're, kind of, you're like their shepherd, so you're, you're, gonna, you're gonna pray on their behalf. When you know, you know that they're going through this, they're going through that, you're, you're, you're gonna talk to God about that. You can say, look, man, so-and-so's going through this, so-and-so's going through that, Lord, strengthen them, Lord, bless them, Lord, be with them. He says, you're gonna intercede for the people. But more than that, he says, he says uh, and you're going to teach them the statutes and the laws, meaning you're going to teach them God's word. 
And you're going to show them, you're going to teach them, and you're going to show them the way in which they must walk and the work that they, which they must do. I was praying a couple of days ago, I'm like, Lord, uh, uh, if you didn't know, I, I pray often, you know, for direction as to the church. I'm like, Lord, this is your church. This is not my church. This isn't Angel's church. This isn't, you know, uh, Calvary Chapel's church. This is, this is God's church. I'm like, Lord, here I am in your church. What what, what direction do you, do you want to take your church? Lord, what do you want to do in your church? Lord, what do you want to do in your people? Right? And, and, and God brought me to this verse. And he says, pray for the people. You stand before God for the people. He says, and teach them. He says, teach them. Teach them my word. He says, and show them. Teach them and show them. Pray for them. Teach them and show them. I'm like, all right, Lord, I can do that. Right? It's like, not, it's like, it's so simple. But yeah, sometimes we make it so difficult. And we see these big churches coming up with all these huge programs and how to get people into the church, how to, you know, man, the leadership one-on-one. How do I, how do I lead my church? Right? And, and it's very simple. God says, hey, man, just pray for them. Love on them. Pray for them. He says, teach them my word. He says, and, and show them by example how, how, to, how, to, how, how to walk before me. I'm like, all right, Lord. And so, and so that was like God's answer for me. You know? like he got answered my prayer by just telling me, hey, man, just keep doing that. I'm like, all right, Lord, cool. And so that's what Moses is doing now. He says, moreover, 20, verse 21, you shall select from all the people able men. He says, such as fear God, men of truth, who hate covetousness, and place such over them to be rulers of thousands, rulers of hundreds, rulers of fifties, and rulers of tens. And let them judge the people at all times. Then it will be that every great matter that, uh, uh, that they bring to you, but every small matter, they themselves take care of it. So it will be easier for you, for they will bear the burden with you. If you do this thing and God so commands you, then you will be able to endure, and all these people will also go to their place in peace. So Moses heeded the voice of his father-in-law and did all that he said, and Moses chose able men out of all Israel and made them heads over the people, rulers of thousands, rulers of hundreds, rulers of fifties, and rulers of tens. So they judged the people at all times. The hard cases they brought to Moses, but they judged every small case themselves. Then Moses let his father-in-law depart, and he went his way to his own land. And so and this is just awesome advice from Jethro. He says, look, man, you're doing too much. He says, look, you're going to take care of, 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 all the hard, of all the hard situations, all the difficult situations, all the difficult petitions. But look, you're, you're, to, set, you're to choose from, from all the children of Israel specific types of men. And he says, men who, are, uh, men who are able, men who fear God, meaning reverence God, have a holy reverence for God, men, men of truth. Men who hate covetousness. Now notice what it says. It says, hating men who hate covetousness. Covetousness, if you didn't know, is, is the desire for things, for material things, specifically wealth, money, for, 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 for things, right? People who want things. Interesting that, that Paul in the New Testament, as he's writing to Timothy, there in 1 Timothy 3.17, uh, I mean 3, 3, 1 through 7, he, he, he writes to Timothy and, and, and he gives them uh, the, the, the qualities for an overseer or, or, or an elder. And, 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 and Paul writing to Timothy, he tells him, all right, Timothy, you're to choose a specific type of men, a, 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 a certain type of men to set as, as, as overseers in the church. And he tells them this, there in, in 1 Timothy uh, chapter 3, 1 through 7, he says, this is a faithful saying, if a man desires a position of a bishop, meaning an overseer or an elder, says he desires a good work. And he says, an, a bishop then must be blameless, the husband of one wife, Temperate, sober-minded, of good behavior, hospital, able to teach, not given to wine, not violent, not greedy for money, but gentle, coercive, 
not covetous. One who rules his own house well, having his, his children in submission with all reverence. For if a man does not know how to rule his own house, how will he take care of the church of God? He is not a novice, lest being puffed up with pride he fall into the same condemnation as the devil. He says, moreover, he must have a good testimony among those who are outside, lest he fall into reproach into the snare of the devil. And so we see that, 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 that God has called men to the ministry, right? But not just any man. You know, God is, is specific in the type of man that he's looking for. Right? He says, look, man, they, they must meet all these qualifications in order to qualify as an elder. And these things, uh, these things count for, for, for women as well. Right? It's, it's whenever you want to be in a position of leadership in the church. But one thing that, 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 that I want to focus on, all these things are great things, but one thing that, that, that I love that he mentions and kind of over, overlook, he says, hating covetousness. Not just disliking it, not just not being a covetous man, but he says, hating covetousness, meaning hating the, the desire for mature possessions, meaning not greedy for money. Why? Because if a person in a, in a position of religious or spiritual authority is giving over to money, then any, something crazy could go down the church and, hey, you know what? Don't say anything. Let me, how much do you want? So you could keep quiet, so you don't have to say anything. And we see that this goes on all the time. Why? Because people don't follow the qualification that the Bible has given us for an overseer, for a pastor for a priest, for a, a, for a religious, for a, a spiritual elder, right? And because men are placed in the pulpit who love covetousness, who love greediness, who love money, then they can be bought, right? If something goes on in the church and, 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 and their conscience can be bought, their silence can be bought. Right? And so that's why God says, hey, the person who's to be up here cannot be a lover of money. He cannot be greedy. He cannot be covetous, a, a covetous man. Right? For that specific reason. God has given us the guidelines to guard against this crazy stuff that happens in the church. I mean, we hear about it all the time, you know, that unfortunately, sadly, you know, that kids get mistreated in church, kids get abused. A lot of abuse goes on, you know, in the church. Sadly, because of this. Because they don't follow biblical instructions and guidelines for setting a man over spiritual leadership. But if, if, if they would just follow what the Bible says, <laughs> we would guard ourselves from these things. But because you know, they choose to, to, to put the Bible aside and go now based off their own emotions or their own ideals, we have these tragedies in the church. And the, and the church you know, now has, a, has a, an, a, an eyesore, a black eye. You know, and everyone sees the church as, oh man, the church is a bunch, is a bunch of pedophiles, a bunch of, you know, all this, this, that, and the other. Why? Because of this. Because they don't follow the biblical guidelines. But, but, but God was, was specific in his instructions for spiritual leadership for that reason. A man who was up here as a spiritual leader must hate covetous and must not be greedy, must not be a lover of money for that reason. And so it goes on to say, so Moses said, uh, men, men over thousands, men over hundreds, men over fifties, and men over tens. Man, I love this because this, kinda, this is the, 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 the model of leadership that we adopt as Calvary Chapel. We don't have a, you know, this church board and you know how we all kind of decide all right well, i think we should do this today all right i think we should teach on that today it's cool because because calvary chapel if you didn't know it is modeled after we call it the, the moses model within different different uh, uh, uh christian within christianity there's different types of leadership you guys have probably heard the, the term uh, um, um methodist or uh, lutheran or uh, uh, uh so, so every every other churches follow different types of leadership styles one of them is like, all right, the pastor has the last say, no one can say anything, whatever he says goes, that type of thing. 
and, and, and no one can say otherwise. Another one is that the, the congregations, they make all the decisions, the pastor has no say in it, whatever they choose and vote on, he has to listen to, he has no say, he's just kind of like a hired guy. And then this is what, 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 what kind of we base our modership after, our leadership after is uh, the Moses model. Amen. You have one person who's kind of hearing from God, we have elders or leaders, you know, under him and, and, and over him that kind of, you know, we all kind of have this balance because we all hear from God, right? So this kind of, it's pretty cool, you know, just a little, a little just an insight into, into Calvary Chapel style leadership. It's pretty cool. I, I really dig it. And so it goes on to say, and if you do this and God so commands you, then you will be able to endure and all the people with you that go, uh, will go to their, to their place in peace. And so Moses obeyed the voice of Jethro, he says, and, and, and he chose able men out of all of Israel and made them heads over the peoples. And so we're told that then Moses let his father-in-law depart, and he went his way to his own land. Amazing. And I'm just amazed every time, you know, again, we get this, this insight from the Bible, and we think, man, it would just be so much easier, right? We would just avoid so much other trouble, we would just follow the word, right? Especially talking about church, man, we would just, the church would just, would just follow the instructions that God has given us already, you know, for, for the church, for the body, for life, for the world, for our lives, right? I mean, it would just be so much easier. And I just, I, I'm amazed. At just the wisdom of God in His Word and just how and how applicable it is for today, right? And I'm just amazed again at just at God's Word, and I pray that, that that all of us will just continue to grow in in a love and a knowledge and in a wisdom in His Word, and we'll be able to apply it to our own lives and and walk in it, walk in it daily. Amen. Yeah. Our Father, we just thank you for your Word.